Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Facebook is monitoring us. That's old news. But what if we could use the data it collects for good? That's something a pair of local researchers attempted to do this summer, using Facebook connections to attempt to figure out how COVID-19 might spread in Missouri. Now, one of those researchers was a college-age intern. Catherine Pietka is a rising junior at Truman State University. This summer, she was an intern at the Institute for Informatics at Washington University School of Medicine. And the research she did using Facebook data led not only to a paper, but also to its presentation at a statewide pandemic task force earlier this month. And joining us today to talk about it is Catherine Pietka herself. Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. And we're also joined today by Beth Prusasek. She is an instructor at the Institute for Informatics at Washington University School of Medicine. Beth, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So, Beth, I want to start with you because I understand this project began with you. What got you interested in trying to use Facebook data looking at social connections when it comes to the coronavirus? Absolutely. So my research uh, often involves social networks. That's a, a type of research I do, social network analysis. And probably like many people, when the pandemic hit, a lot of us who are in science and in research wanted to help. We wanted to do whatever we could to, to, to help locally, to help nationally and globally. And this particular data set was fairly recently released from Facebook. It had only been out um, in March, I think about a year to a year and a half. And so it hadn't been used a lot, but I did notice that some researchers um, out of New York University had used it to look at the early hotspots of Westchester County, New York, and in Italy. And I thought, oh, that's a fascinating use of social network data to, to look at a pandemic. And it seemed to correlate with some of the spread in these early hotspots. So I had to go through the, the somewhat lengthy process of getting the data from Facebook because it is only available to nonprofits and universities. But I, I wanted to just see what I could find when I got the data. So I, I went through the process of getting the data, but by the time I got it, uh, like everything, the pandemic had been rapidly changing and I had other COVID projects on my plate and I didn't actually have a whole lot of time to dive into the data. And it just so happened I had a wonderful intern starting around the same time, Katie, and she was able to dive in. So, Katie, that's you. Should I call you Katie or Catherine? Either work, really. Okay. Um, so that wonderful intern, that is you. How did you end up getting involved with this? Uh, was this an, an assignment or was this something where you were given the option? I was given the option to choose between three different projects, and this was one that spoke the most to me because, you know, as a college-age student, social media is something that I am very involved in. So the ability to use that to, in theory, benefit the public was something that interested me. So uh, Beth had mentioned this data set. This has to do with social connectedness. Tell me what you're actually looking at when you got this data that, that Beth had managed to get out of Facebook. So the social connectedness is a measure of the connection between two locations. So it takes the number of friendships between each location based off of your location history on Facebook and where you say that you live on your profile. And then it divides that by the population of both of those to normalize the data. So it's looking at the number of friendships between two different locations. Okay, so you're able to see based on this, um, what areas do St. Louis people have the most friendships with? What was your idea of, of how to take that and turn it into something that could be useful? So earlier this year, two papers were published um, using this data 
in both New York and Italy to connect COVID hotspots and the data. So we kind of rolled with that and looked at it for Missouri and to see how universities returning to school will affect the spread. And Beth, what's the idea of specifically honing in on universities? Yeah, we, we, of course, could look at anything across the, the world. Uh, this, this particular data set's really large, and you can look at county to county, zip code to zip code, state to state, um, all the way up to country to country connections. So we could look at anything. And we thought, given that there's a lot of debate, I know you just had a guest on talking about returning to school and the pandemic, uh, to, to, to kind of carve out a manageable piece uh, of a project, we thought, let's look at counties in Missouri that have four-year universities or colleges, because those are going to be the places students will be returning to in the fall from all over the world and all over the country. So there are certainly places in Missouri that don't have a lot of um, it's, for example, counties, the county residents going, um, you know, to L.A. or to Canada or to Europe, but certainly places where there are universities, you're going to have both faculty and students coming back from those places for the fall or they'll go home during fall break or winter break and return in the spring. So we thought this would be a great use of the data to be able to hopefully find some places that uh, are, are, are maybe unsuspecting that uh, we might want to watch for when students and faculty start returning. Hmm. So, Catherine, it, it feels like we'd maybe ex- expect that there would be some connectedness between, say, St. Louis and Kansas City or St. Louis and Columbia. Um, what are some connections that you found that wouldn't necessarily be something you'd expect? Um, so, obviously, you know, St. Louis is almost the most major city in Missouri, but in reality, Boone County was connected to more of the other, we looked at 23 counties. Mm -hmm. Boone County and Jackson County had the most connections overall between all of those. Hmm. And so Beth, what would that suggest to you in terms of, um, you know, why policymakers or how policymakers might wanna be considering all those connections from Boone and Jackson County to other places? I think one of the things I was surprised by was, uh, to Katie's earlier point, how connected these more rural counties were. Mm. Uh, Of course, I anticipated that St. Louis and Kansas City would have connections all around the country, but actually all of the counties had very similar patterns. Even when we looked at it, um, sort of limiting it to the top 20% of connections around the country, all of the counties in Missouri had connections to Southern California, um, Southwest uh, Arizona, Southern Florida, these places that we see really explode with COVID cases right now. And so it was surprising to us that both these were connections uh, across even the rural counties and that all of the Missouri counties had very similar patterns. So one of the big takeaways uh, Katie and I uh, wanted to impart when, when we presented to the task force and what we put up in, in our paper was that schools should combine their resources, work together to mitigate uh, any potential spread, that it doesn't make sense for one, for, for Missouri S&T to be doing this all on their own while Mizzou is doing the same thing and SLU is doing the same thing. It would really make sense for these these schools to pool their resources to monitor these hotspots because knowing that 
those hotspots are going to impact all of them. And so if they can pull the resources, monitor them, share data, share information, hopefully as a state, we'll have better outcomes. And you mentioned that you got this data much later than you had initially asked for it. I'm sure you had different purposes in mind um, when you first reached out to get this. But as you uh, point out here, this is actually really good timing, not just for this semester we're about to go into, but it also might be really useful for the time, say, before and after winter and spring break. This is this is some good utility down the road. Absolutely. I, I When I originally requested the data early uh, in the pandemic, I think late March, I had wonderful visions for really using it at the local St. Louis level. And I was going to really curb the spread in St. Louis. And then I think we didn't get the data until May. It took a while. Isn't Facebook, that so typical? Yes. Facebook doesn't give their data out easily. There were a lot of talks between Facebook lawyers and, and WashU lawyers, but we got it all squared away and we finally got the data. And then, as I said, I didn't actually have the time to dive into it. Um, also, to, to, to Katie's huge help, um, I am in my mid-30s, I am not familiar with some of these new ways that Facebook gives out data. They put it on Slack. I am not familiar with Slack. And so they, they sort of handed me this data, and I wasn't even sure how to access it. And Katie, being much more adept at these these sorts of new uh, technologies and new systems, she was able to get into Slack, get the data for me, and and manage it when I wasn't even sure where to begin. So we, we it took us a while to get there, but the data, as you, you point out, really do have utility going forward. We can look at and this is one of our next steps is to look at does the does the the rise in these connected areas across the country and in Missouri and, and the neighboring states, does that actually map on to what we've seen in COVID spread? And if that does, if we can kind of look back and say, yes, these Facebook friendships are mirroring the COVID spread, then we're going to be able to look at the future and look at where these hot or how these hotspots um increase or decrease and know that that is going to translate into Missouri. Hmm. So, yeah, this is incredibly useful information. And as you alluded to there, you were able to get this in front of the state uh, pandemic task force. How did that come about? Yeah, I'm very grateful. Um, WashU has a number of of researchers who are actively involved in the the St. Louis and the state COVID response. And one of my colleagues, um, Dr. Abigail Barker, sits on the data analytics um, subcommittee, subtask force of the the larger statewide um, pandemic task force. And and I know her well, and I knew she would be interested in our findings. So I sent them to her and just sort of a, hey, heads up, this is what we have found. Not sure if it's useful for you all. And she thought it was really interesting and forwarded it along to her colleagues. And then, uh, as Katie and I know, very quickly, I think about two or three days after we sent it to her, she emailed us and said, can you come and present to the task force on Thursday. On Thursday, (laughs) like they were like this week. (laughs) Yes, exactly. They wanted us to come on very quickly. And then um, so we quickly rearranged all of our schedules. And then unfortunately, um, and and Dr. Barker said this has never happened. They rescheduled their meeting to the following day, which then Katie wasn't able to make it. And and unfortunately, she wasn't able to present uh, all of her work because she really did the lion's share and and was the lead on this. So I presented on our behalf, but uh, made sure that she got full credit because she did so much of the work. And, and it was a great experience to be able to share with them what we had found and hope that in some way it is going to at least be in their minds when they're making decisions and when they're looking at other sources of data. This can just be one more tool in their toolbox. Catherine, I have to ask, uh, was there a small part of you that was just a little bit relieved when they moved that meeting and then you were off the hook? 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you were happy to let Beth take the lead on, on the presenting. But as Beth, I mean, she really gives you credit for taking the lead on this paper. And I have to say, there is nothing I worked on as an intern that rivals this in terms of just the importance of it. Did you have a sense this summer as you were wrangling this data? Wow, I'm, I'm doing work that could change important people's minds about things. I honestly had no idea coming in that I would get to do anything like this. It was a nice surprise. Did it feel more powerful or more terrifying once you realized what you had in your hands? I don't think I realized it until like the end of the summer. Mm. So (laughs) neither really. It was just really interesting and it's something that I enjoyed doing. So has it shaped your career goals in any way having this experience at the Institute? It has. So coming into it, I didn't I knew I wanted to do something with data, but I didn't really know what data. So this gave me like more of a focus to move forward and work on. That's exciting. And and Beth, you were able to do this presentation then. Do you get the sense that that people were listening and digesting what you were presenting? Oh, absolutely. I they asked great questions. They invited us back when we have more results from our future work. They they want to hear more. So it it was sort of an open door when you do more work and you have more information, please come share it with us. And I think obviously if they didn't find it interesting or useful, they would have just sort of said thanks, but no thanks. But they invited us back when we have more information and more data. So we'll definitely be returning to them once we have that. So the one catch, um, I know from my years of, of having interns, the one bad thing about having a wonderful intern is that intern ends up going back to school. Uh, do you have plans for anybody to carry on with this research um, as Catherine has to move on with the rest of her life? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I, um, you know, as as you said, interns have to leave. I never want them to feel like they have to stay and continue to work on projects that maybe they don't find interesting. So at the end of the internship, which was just um, at the end of July, you know, I sort of thanked Katie for all of her work, said if she ever wanted to come back and continue working in in the lab, I would would welcome her back. And she said, actually, I probably have some time this semester if you have anything more to do. And it was right around the time that this was getting picked up by the task force. And I said, well, that's perfect because I have more for you to do on this project if you want. So Katie is going to continue working on it. Uh, we'll, we'll go a little slower because she has a full class load and is you know, a master of, of um, the equestrian team and, and a veterinarian assistant. She has got a lot going on, but uh, she will definitely still be the lead analyst on this data set and, and this project. And I'm excited that she wants to take it forward and that we are going to have the ability to take it forward. Wow. So that's exciting. Katie, you get to stay on this project. Is that in part possible because so many things are virtual these days? It is. I do not know how it would have been like transitioning from an in-person to a virtual internship, but because it's been virtual the whole time, it is almost like nothing changed. So, Beth, last question for you here. Um, you obviously have a, a, a full gold mine of data. Um, what are you hoping will be the takeaway as people think about what you found and what you hope to continue to find and as Missouri shapes its policies? I think uh, my, my main takeaway from the whole data set, which we looked at it a lot of different ways, we ultimately went with the school and university angle, but we looked at a lot of other different angles. And I was amazed at how connected places were and, and really um, just, again, the rural areas, the big cities, the densely populated uh, counties, um, everybody was connected. And I think that was both um, terrifying when you think about a pandemic and you, you think, well, I'm out here in you know, 
the middle of nowhere. I'm, I'm very safe. And then you look and see, actually, my county is, is strongly connected to, to Chicago or to, to Little Rock, these places that have a lot of cases. I think that was somewhat terrifying to see how connected we are. But it also gave me a little bit of hope that we can get a handle on this and we can curb the the spikes and 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 decrease our cases if we all work together that it's it's not just about me and it's not just about doing my part here in St. Louis City but that I when I do my part that impacts Boone County and when Boone County does their part that impacts Kansas City and when LA does their part it impacts Jefferson City so it was and we are all in this together well um, unfortunately we're out of time but uh, Beth Prusasek of the Institute of Informatics at Washington University School of Medicine thank you for joining us today thank you and also uh, Catherine Pietka thank you so much for joining us and and good luck back at uh, Truman Thank you. And St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.